You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. All right, let's go, let's go. We serve a God who speaks, amen? amen. It's pretty awesome, right? Like, we, we have a heavenly Father who is our heavenly Father, He's the creator of the entire universe, and, and yet he wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you individually. That, that's a truth that blows my mind when I think about it, that God wants to talk to me, and he wants to talk to you tonight. Uh, but like what we're gonna see tonight in the message, God's always talking, but, but sometimes his people aren't listening, and sometimes his people miss what he's saying right in front of him, and you know, the reality is that still happens today. God's still speaking, but you can miss it. And so I wanna encourage you, do whatever you need to do tonight to lean in with me, to not miss the word of God that he has for you. But like I said, we're continuing into week four, y'all. Number four. Somebody say week four. We're in week four of this series that we're calling Head in the Clouds. Y'all been enjoying the series so far? And let me just shout you guys out for a second because we're going deep in this series. Like this is not your typical run-of-the-mill student ministry series. Like this is a big boy, big girl series. We're going deep in the word of God. We're not playing around because we're talking about all of scripture. This series is about the whole Bible, how from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, it is telling one story. The whole thing is is putting together one story and that's the story of Jesus. And in this series, we're looking at each part of scripture and we're asking the question, okay, how does this part of scripture fit into the story? Does that make sense? How does this part of scripture fit into the overall story of what God is trying to tell me? And so it's been so much fun learning about each section of scripture. We've already talked about the law. Somebody said the law. We've already talked about the nation. Somebody say the nation. And last week we took, we took a look at a portion of scripture called wisdom. Somebody say wisdom. Wisdom. And it was good. And tonight we're going to be diving into some of what I think, personally, are the most interesting books in the Bible. And if you remember last week, I talked about how wisdom books are really simple and straightforward. Do you remember that? Like Proverbs specifically, if you've ever read Proverbs before, it is cut and dry. It's like, do this, don't do this. Very cut and dry, very simple, easy to understand. And what we're doing tonight is we are swinging to the opposite end of the spectrum because tonight we're talking about prophetic literature, prophecy. Somebody say prophecy. Prophecy, in my, my personal opinion, it's some of the most confusing, hard to understand parts of scripture, but that's exactly why we're doing this series, amen? And so I wanna start us off tonight at the end of Jeremiah. We're gonna, we're gonna read a prophecy that's given at the very end of the book of Jeremiah. Then we're gonna go into just a bunch of amazing things about what pro- prophetic literature is trying to teach us. And it's gonna be a great message. I'm so excited. I hope you're ready to lean in with me. But here's the word. I'm gonna pray, and then we'll jump into the message. Jeremiah, what is it, 31, starting in verse 31. This is from the message translation. Here's what it says. It says, that's right. The time is coming when I will make a brand new covenant with Israel and Judah. It won't be a repeat of the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took their hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Whoops. Even though I did my part as their master, God's decree, 
but he's not done. Look at this. This is the brand new covenant that I will make with Israel when the time comes. I will put my law within them. And this should ring a bell for a New Testament passage that talks about this. I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts and be their God. And they will be my people. They will no longer go around setting up schools to teach each other about God. They'll know me firsthand. Amen. They'll know me firsthand, the dull and the bright, the smart and the slow. Amen. I'm thankful for that. Sometimes I'm slow. The smart and the slow can know God. I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. Amen. Let's pray. And then we're going to dive into prophetic literature tonight. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, I thank you so much for your presence in this space. And God, we thank you for the gift of your word. Your word is a gift, God. And time and time again, we, we and generations past, we try to live our lives apart from your word. We can neglect your word. We can think we know the word. But God, we recognize tonight we need your word. Your word sustains us. And I thank you for this series that you're teaching us about the beauty and the wonder of your word. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate every heart tonight? I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth would glorify you and take us deeper in our walk with you and in our knowledge of the word tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, we're gonna jump right in because we got a lot of ground to cover. My note takers, are you ready? All right, let's go. I wanna start off by giving you a bird's eye view, which is very fitting for this series, but giving you a bird's eye view of all of the prophetic literature in the Bible. We're gonna take a bird's eye view of it, and then we're gonna go into one book in particular and talk about kind of what it's saying and, and how that applies to us today. Now, to start off, as we're talking about prophetic, prophetic literature, um, you gotta understand that there are, and we're gonna talk about this in just a second, there are specific books in the Old Testament that are categorized as the prophets. But you need to know that prophecy and prophets run through the entire Bible. Like they're all throughout the entire Bible from front to back. There's prophets, there's prophecy, even though we just have one category called the prophets. In fact, we find prophecy showing up in the very first book of the Bible, directly after the fall in Genesis. Can I show this to you? This is so cool. So you're probably, probably familiar with the story. You've got Adam and Eve. They're in perfection. They're naked because it's perfect still. And um, there's no sin. There's no sin in creation. And God gives Adam and Eve literally one rule. Like you would think they could do this, right? He literally gives them one rule and they act like my two-year-old daughter when I give her one rule. I do this all the time. I'll look, at, I'll look at Marlo and I'll say, Marlo, please don't climb that bar stool. You can climb anything in the house. You can climb the couch. You can climb our bed. You can climb the coffee table, but don't climb that bar stool. And you know what Marlo does? She'll walk over to the bar stool and she'll kind of climb it halfway. And she'll, mean, like, she'll give me the look that's like, you mean this bar stool? And this is exactly what Adam and Eve do. They, they, they get a simple command from God and, and they are tempted by the enemy to disobey and to not trust God. And so in a moment, they, they take the bite of the apple, they disobey and God's perfect world turns into what we now know it is God's fallen world, right? You remember this? But in the very beginning, right after they sin, we actually get 
a prophecy from God himself. And even though it looks like in this moment, the enemy has won a battle, God lets us know that the enemy has won this small battle, but he has not won the war. He's not going to win the war. In fact, look at this. Genesis 3, chapter, or verse 15, this is God talking and he's prophesying. This is a prophetic word from God after the sin. And look at what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Talking about, um, talking about the devil. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and, underline this if you have your Bible, her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heal. Now, this little passage right here is what Bible scholars call proto-evangelium. Now, it, it could be called evangelium or gelium. It depends on how you pronounce jif or gif. Who says jif? I say jif. Who says gif? Gif. Okay. So you can take this however you want. I call it proto-evangelium, but here's what that means. It means first gospel or pre-gospel. And what that means is what God is saying right here in Genesis 3.15 is the good news before the good news ever put on skin and showed up on earth. And what God is foreshadowing in this prophecy, thousands of years before Jesus ever puts on human skin is this. First, we get a glimpse into the virgin birth right here. This is crazy because some translations, they don't say her offspring, but it actually says her seed, her seed. Now, I'm not trying to turn this into like a sex education class, but we gotta talk about this for a second because you need to know women don't have seed. <laughs> Men have seed. So what, when God says that the woman's seed is going to bring down the enemy, what he's saying is God already knew the plan. God already knew the plan. God knows that the one who's going to deal the death blow to the enemy is not gonna come from man's seed, but it's gonna come from woman's seed, a virgin birth, amen? How crazy is that? This is thousands of years before Jesus ever shows up. The second thing that we get a glimpse into is the fact that Jesus is going to be hit by the enemy. He's going to take a blow from the enemy at the same time that he is delivering the death blow to the enemy. Look at this. Charles Spurgeon says this. This is so cool. I hope you're leaning in with me tonight. The heel is the part within the serpent's reach. Jesus, in taking on humanity, brought himself near to Satan's domain so Satan could strike him. That bruised heel is painful enough. Behold, our Lord, in his human nature, sore bruised. He was betrayed, bound, accused, buffeted, scourged, spit upon. He was nailed to the cross. He hung there in thirst and fever and darkness and desertion. Look at this. This is the first gospel sermon that was ever delivered upon the surface of the earth. It was a memorable discourse indeed with Jehovah, God himself for the preacher and the whole human race and the prince of darkness for the audience. How cool is that? So we see a prophecy happening in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And when you, get, when you get a chance to read the entire book, whenever you go through all of the Bible, you will see that prophecy is not just in a few specific books categorized as prophecy. It is all throughout the Bible from the front to the back, from Genesis to Revelation. Now, now that we know that it's all throughout the Bible though, let's talk about the fact that it is a specific category of books. There's a specific group of books in the Old Testament that are dedicated to being known as 
the books of the prophets. And I wanna give, give the whole list to you as a tool so that when you go back and read these, you can know what you're reading. So if you wanna take notes or take a photo of this, it could be a good tool for you guys in the future. But you've got all of the books of the prophets and they're split up into two categories. You've got the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now here are the major prophets. You've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the minor prophets, I'm gonna have to take a deep breath for this one. You got Hosea, Joel, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Sounds like I'm rapping right there. And um, this is known as the 12. Now, in the Jewish Bible, if, you have a, if you're a Jewish person and you have Jewish scripture in front of you, all of the minor prophets are actually collected into one book, and it's called the 12. It's all just one book. But in our Christian Bible, we've split them up into 12 different books of the prophets, and you need to know that the major prophets are not necessarily better than the minor prophets. It's not like those guys were major, major league prophets, and these are like the B league prophets. No, they're just called the major prophets because they were majorly long. Like these were the longer, longer discourses from the prophets. And what I wanna talk about, this is where I wanna go into what, what each one of these prophetic books is talking about. When you look at all of the prophetic books in the Bible, there's a similarity between every single one that we're gonna read or that, that you will read. There's a similarity, there's a theme in every single one. And that's what we're gonna focus on tonight. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Themes of prophetic literature. Themes of prophetic literature. There's four themes I wanna go through tonight. Are y'all ready? Y'all still with me? Can y'all handle the word of God? I know you can. Okay, let's go. The first major theme that we see in prophetic literature is number one, prophets. <laughs> I know, right? Preach it. It's pretty crazy, but it's true. There are prophets in every single one of the prophetic books. So what's a prophet? We got to talk about it. Well, a prophet is a spokesperson on God's behalf. That's all they are. They're a spokesperson on God's behalf. Now, before God's people had a Bible, like you and me, like we've got all of God's word packed up all nice and neat in a fancy Bible, and that's one of the main ways God communicates with us today. It's not the only way, but y'all know, right? God communicates through his word today. But before God's people had a Bible, they needed to be communicated to by God, right? And so one of the ways God communicated to his people before they had a collective scripture was through a prophet. Look at this, Amos 3.7 says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So God would talk to a prophet and these dudes were basically like heavenly mailmen. They would get a message from God and it was addressed for the people of God, the children of Israel, and they would deliver those messages. Now, I think, this is just my personal opinion, I think that sometimes because we are so far removed from the biblical times, we can look back and we can imagine these prophets as like being these really stoic dudes with big long beards and a staff and everybody loves them. Everybody thinks they're wise. They're just hanging on every word of the prophets. They wanna be around them. They're like TikTok famous in Bible times. Like everybody wants to be around the prophets, but you need to know that a lot of the time, in fact, most of the time prophets were weird. Like they were complete outcasts, kind of like John the Baptist, like they wore camel's hair and they eat bugs and some prophets would like run around naked for three years and like they did some crazy stuff. The prophets were strange. 
Not everybody liked the prophets, but a lot of the times what we're gonna see tonight is people didn't not like the prophets because they were strange. One of the main reasons why they didn't like the prophets was because of their messages. It was because of their messages. And I don't blame the children of Israel. You know why? Because it's not fun when a prophet comes jumping at you, like in all the books that we're gonna see, and their message to you is, hey, you've got sin. Does anybody like their sin being pointed out? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, but like, I'm not a big fan of like God pointing out my sin, my wife pointing out my sin, my close friends pointing out my sin. Like that's an uncomfortable feeling, right? Amen, is anybody gonna amen me for that? Having our sin pointed out is an uncomfortable feeling. Like nobody likes that. Well, why? Well, it's because our knee-jerk reaction to sin it's the same knee-jerk reaction that we see in the garden. What is it? It's to hide our sin. Our knee-jerk reaction when we sin is to hide it, to pretend like it never happened, and then to put on shame, kind of like how Adam and Eve did this with God in the garden. And when somebody points out your sin, man, it's so uncomfortable. It makes you feel exposed. It makes you feel naked. And this is what the prophets were constantly doing all throughout the prophetic books. They're pointing out sin, but they're not just doing it to be big, bad meanies. They're doing it because they know it's what the people needed. It's what the people needed to get them back on the right track. And God would use these prophets to do these, these somewhat strange, kind of like misfit, outcast people, but they were devoted to God. And he would use them to help steer all of God's people. I want you to see this picture. He would use one kind of weird, outcasted prophet to steer a whole nation. And that reminds me of a New Testament scripture that's one of my favorite passages. It's so encouraging. It's 1 Corinthians 1, It says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. And here's what you gotta realize. This is what we learn from the prophetic books. God will use the minority to help steer the majority. God uses the minority to help steer the majority. And what I love about this is that this isn't just how God worked back during the prophets. Like this is still how God works today. Like how many of you know, man, it doesn't take but five minutes on social media for you to recognize that people who order their life around Jesus are the minority. It doesn't take but like five minutes on social media. You just take a walk down your hallway at your school and listen to some of the conversations that are happening in your hallway at your school, and you will, you will learn pretty quickly whether you go to a Christian school or not. Man, Christians, people who devote their life to God, guess what? You're the minority. You're not the majority. You're the minority. And like when we look at that from a natural lens, that can look like, well, man, what are we going to do? There's no hope. We're the minority. They're the majority. What are we going to do? But here's the awesome thing that we see. This is one of the major themes throughout all of scripture. God uses the minority to help steer the majority. The Bible Project says this about prophets. Although Israel had many kings, they were not the ultimate authority in Israel. Rather, God's covenant word was the real authority. This is why God raised up the prophetic office to counterbalance the office of kingship. For every king, I want you to get this, New Song students. For every king, there was an opposing prophet or a group of prophets ready to stick the covenant back in the king's face 
and call him to accountability to God's word. So God would use these strange dudes, these weird prophets, these somewhat unpopular people in God's kingdom to call kings back into the right direction. Like think about that, kings. He would use these weird foolish guys to steer kings in the right direction. And we see this pattern of God using small things to change big things throughout the entire Bible. We see this all throughout the Bible. We see God using one family to bless who? All nations, Abraham. We see God using one reluctant prophet to save an entire nation that was gonna die, Nineveh, the prophet Jonah. We see God using one perfect man, who? Jesus, to, to offer salvation to every single person, regardless of whatever sin they commit. And New Song students, I believe God can use one student. Amen? I believe God can use one student to change the course of your entire school, your entire family who's running away from God. I believe God can use the small things to steer the big things. Amen? I believe that. This is the first thing we see in all of the prophetic books in the Bible. You've got a prophet, and God uses a prophet, somebody who looks strange and weak and odd to change a nation. The second thing that you'll see in all prophetic books is that prophets speak to the past, the present, and the future. They speak to the past, the present, and the future. Now, sometimes when we think of that word prophecy, we only think of future telling. Is that what you think of when you think of prophecy? You think of like predictions of the future. And prophecy does include that. But what we're gonna see in all of the prophetic books is that usually the prophets, they're not just talking about the future. They're talking about the past, the present, and the future, sometimes all at the same time. So I wanna talk about this. The prophets, they didn't just steer people in the right direction by pointing forward. One of the first things that they would do to help steer people in the right direction was actually they would point backwards. They would point back. They were constantly pointing back to two things. If you're taking notes, write this down. They were pointing back to God's works and God's word. God's works and God's word. So they would come to the children of Israel and they would say, hey, yo, hello, don't you remember where you came from? Children of Israel, don't you remember that you were a slave? You used to be a slave and now you walk in freedom. Who do you think did that? God did that for you. Remember. Now, they were constantly reminding people, God's children, of his works in the past. Why? Because they forgot. They forgot. As they grew as a nation, as they got more established, they started to be distracted by, by life. Their need for God over time, it was numbed by all of the comfortability they were walking in because they haven't been slaves for so long. And so every now and then, God would raise up a prophet and they would come and they would say, remember. Hey, do you remember where you used to be? Do you remember where you came from? Don't forget that the person you are right now and all of the freedom that you walk in, it's only because of what God did back then in your life, amen. But the prophets, they wouldn't just point back to God's works. They were also pointing back to something that the people constantly, constantly neglected. And surprise, it's something that we can constantly neglect today, and that is God's word. And the message was pretty clear from the prophets. He would look at the children of Israel and he would say, hey, you need to remind yourself of God's word. 
Do you remember God's covenant? Do you remember what God told you? The reason why you're facing so much trouble today is because you forgot what God said back then. And students, I want you to know, there's a lesson we can learn from this. This is why it's so important for all of us to be living a life that is saturated in the word of God. Because here's the temptation that the children of Israel were facing. And guess what? It's a temptation that is very similar for all of us to step into. And it's this. Yeah, but I already know that stuff. Who's ever thought that before? Preacher's about to preach a message and you're like, man, I already know where this is going. Have you ever been there before? You're like, man, I already know this stuff. I grew up in church. I've heard Noah a thousand times. Like, I know that stuff. I'm good. And the temptation is to actually neglect living a life in the word of God because you think, I know it. I've already read it. I don't need to live my life in it because I've already lived in it. I know what it says. I'm good. And man, it is easy. I'll be first to admit, it is easy to get to that place. I've been there before where you think you've arrived. You know it all. But you need to know that you need God's word every single day. You need to live a life saturated in the word of God because guess what? It's normally during these times when we start to get comfortable and we're like, man, I know the word. We start to neglect the word. And surprise, those are the times where we're the most anxious. (laughs) Those are the times where we're the most distracted. We're coping with anything and everything this world offers. Why? It's because we've neglected the word of God. We've neglected it. And you know what God was saying through the prophets? And he's kind of saying the same message to all of us tonight. Hey, you don't need any new information. You just need to go back to what I've already told you. You just need to go back to the word. You don't need new, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new that this world offers you. All you need to do is go back to what God has already said. Do you know the word? Do you live a life saturated in the word of God? And this is what the prophets would do. They pointed back. They said, hey, remember God's works. Remember what he did in your life. Remember what God said, but they didn't just point back. This is the the very uncomfortable part about prophets, and that's that they pointed out. They pointed out. They would point out sin. They would point out what people didn't want to hear. They would point out present issues that the children of Israel were facing. And there's actually places all throughout the Old Testament where the Bible warns us, even in the New Testament, of these people called false prophets. You ever heard that before? A false prophet? Have you ever wondered, like, how am I supposed to know who's a false prophet and who's a real prophet? Well, one of the main reasons why the Bible tells us people were false prophets was this reason right here. They only told the children of Israel what they wanted to hear. They would only tell the people the things they wanted to hear. Look at this. They are prophets who speak what people want to hear so that they can make a handsome living, not true prophets who suffer to speak the truth. Ezekiel 38, uh, uh, 13, 8 through 16, it's a story in scripture. You can go back and read it probably has in view the lying prophets who gave false comfort to King Zedekiah just prior to the fall of Jerusalem. He compares them to those who whitewashed a wall to mask its flaws. This is what, this is what false prophets do. They whitewash the sin. 
The people were supposed to build a sound house of truth and love for the Lord, but their sin was actually building a weak and compromised nation. Instead of alerting the people, the prophets preferred to ignore the people's sin, telling them everything's just fine, papering over the unsound structure that the nation had built. This is what false prophets would do in the Old Testament. They would just, they would just tell the people everything they wanted to hear. Dude, you're fine. It's not that bad. Dude, it's sin is sin, bro. Everybody sins. There's grace for that. You're good. This is what false prophets would do. And man, as uncomfortable as it is to have my sin pointed out, you know, that's exactly what we need sometimes. And this is why God would raise up prophets to point people, to steer people back into the right direction. And man, there was a, there was a time in my life, I remember where I experienced this firsthand in my life because I grew up like a lot of you guys. I grew up in church and I was the good Christian dude. I never, I never got that in trouble with my parents or school um, you know, I was super involved in my youth ministry. I was, I was an intern at my youth ministry. All of my youth leaders and my youth pastor, they're like, dude, you're a stud. But I was living in sin and nobody knew about it. I was so involved, never missed a Wednesday, but people didn't know the hidden sin that was in my life. I was bound by lust. I was addicted to pornography. In my senior year of high school, um, I found myself in a relationship with a girl who was just like me, just like me, but in girl form. And she was super involved at our church's youth group, but at a different youth group. So she's super involved, never misses a Wednesday, leads worship. Everybody's like, she's the dude. You know what I mean? Like, she's the dude. And um, she was just like me. Like all the pastors were looking at her like she's gonna be amazing, gonna be a powerhouse leader in the kingdom. But she, just like me, she had some hidden sin in her heart. And so me and this girl, we get together and everybody on the outside's like, dude, you guys are amazing. You guys are totally gonna get married one day. They're, like, you know, everybody, they're just saying the stuff, the churchy things that sometimes we go way too far, y'all. <laughs> Calm down with the marriage, okay? If it happens, it happens. So... So everybody's like, oh man, this is amazing. This is gonna be so great. But they didn't know what was happening behind closed doors. And me and this girl, we started falling into sin. We started pushing the boundary. We knew we weren't supposed to be doing these things, but we were living in sin and it led to both of us. We lost our virginity with one another. And I remember this season of my life so clearly. Man, this season of my life was dark. It was dark. I felt like such a hypocrite in this season of my life because I remember judging people at my school who did stuff like that. And I would be like, man, I can't believe you do that. And then I found myself in the exact same sin. I felt like such a hypocrite. And not only that, I was scared. I was like, man, what are the consequences of this? Like, am I gonna, am I gonna be a dad in high school? I was so scared. It was dark. I remember for like two months, it felt like there was like a heavy blanket over my shoulders every day when I woke up. But one night, Praise God for youth ministry. I'm at youth group. I don't even remember what the message was. But for some reason, after this message, I felt so stirred. I was like, I've got to tell somebody. I have to confess this sin. So I had this leader that I really looked up to. We all called him Big Jake. Somebody say Big Jake. Big Jake. Shout out to Big Jake. And so I trusted this guy, and I grabbed him after service. And I was like, hey, Jake, 
can I, can I tell you something before a small group? And he was like, yeah, dude, of course, bro. So we go outside, outside of the church after, uh, after service, and Jake, man, bless his heart. He could tell that I had something heavy on my heart, and I was so nervous. My heart was like, goo, 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 beating out of my chest, and Jake was just like affirming me. Like, he's like, hey, bro, you can tell me anything. <laughs> I promise I won't see you any differently. And so I finally, I mustered up the courage, and I just confessed it all. Like I just laid it all out on the table for Jake. And I felt like in this moment, that blanket that was on my shoulders, it kind of started to lift a little bit. It felt so amazing. Cause you know, when we bring our sin out into the light, it's so uncomfortable, but that's what we need. And I started feeling that blanket of, of depression and just darkness started to come off my shoulders. And afterwards, Jake, he starts to encourage me. He starts to just like, just show me the grace of God. And he's like, dude, Jackson, I'm so proud of you for telling me. He's like, thank you for confessing this. And he's like, dude, just encouraging me. I promise you, if you knew some of the stuff I did, you would be not worried about this very much. He's like, you're good. I promise you, if you knew, if you knew some of the things the leader struggled with, you would not be so worried. God's gonna work it all out. He's just, you know, just speaking truth into my life, encouraging me. And so at this point, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, hey, this is pretty awesome confess my sin, getting loved on a little bit, getting encouraged, I can take this. So I'm feeling good about myself. And this conversation, I remember it vividly to this day. It changed the course of my life forever. But it's not just because Big Jake told me everything I wanted to hear. Because he didn't just tell me everything I wanted to hear. After he encouraged me, he's like just showering grace on me. He looks at me and he, he wasn't done yet. And he's like, hey, Jackson, I love you. And what I'm about to tell you is coming from a place of love. So he's like, so hear me. But he's like, you gotta go tell your parents. He's like, I'm really proud you told me, Jackson, but you have to go tell your parents. And you know what? That is exactly what I didn't wanna hear. <laughs> in fact, I felt a little betrayed by Jake in this moment, because I was like, no, no, bro. You just made me feel so good. Like I told you, so I wouldn't have to tell them. But man, I'm thankful that Jake didn't just tell me what I wanted to hear. He told me what I needed to hear. And you know, I trusted that Jake was a person that heard God's voice. And so in this moment, even though I did not wanna hear these words, I trusted that these weren't just words from Jake. This was the Lord leading me. This was God telling me the hard thing I didn't want to hear. And let me tell you, it was such a sucky conversation with my parents. It was unbelievably hard to have, so much harder to have it with them than with Jake. But I did it, I did it. And that conversation was uncomfortable and hard, but you know what? It led me to being born again. It led me to me owning my faith. I wouldn't be here today if Jake didn't tell me what I didn't want to hear. So New Song students, what I wanna tell you is this is a major theme throughout the prophets that we see in the people in the past and it's a question that we get to ask ourselves tonight. Will I be a person who only receives the word of God that I want? Or will I be a person who receives whatever God says, even the things I don't want to hear? Will you be that person? Because we actually have a huge benefit 
because of time. We are outside of time from the prophets. And so they didn't get to see the consequences of their trust in God or their lack of trust in God. But guess what? We do, because we get to go back and read it. And so because of that benefit of time, guess what? We get to see that when they chose to put their trust in the Lord, guess what? There was consequences to that, and God would bless them. But when they chose to not trust what God said, even when they didn't want it, guess what? There was consequences. There was consequences. And you know, God is so gracious and merciful. There is mercy for you every single day. Scripture says every new day is a day of mercy for you. But you gotta know that there's consequences to your sin. Like there's consequences to your sin. And if you're, if you're a person in Christ, there's no condemnation, no shame, but there's still consequences to sin. There's still consequences to that. And we learn from the prophets when we look back that man, trusting God, even when it's difficult, even when me up here on this platform, I tell you something you don't wanna hear, or after a small group tonight, you open up, a lead, open up to a leader and they tell you something you don't wanna hear, or your parents, they tell you something you don't wanna hear, but it's aligned with God's will. When you trust it, God will say, I can bless that. I can bless that. So the prophets, they point back, they point out, but they also pointed forward. And this is where we get what we think of is, is prophecy. It's the foretelling of future events. And we see in the prophets, when they would foretell future events, you knew it was a true prophet when it happened exactly like how they said. And we see this happen in Jeremiah 25. Now, this book in Jeremiah is the largest prophetic book we have. It is, it's a major prophet. Somebody say major. This, this book is major. And in the 24th chapter of this book of Jeremiah, in fact, chapters 1 through 24 of the book, we find this tussle between God and the children of Israel. They're tussling. God is continuing to point out the fact that inside of them, they have an outward relationship with God because they have a big fancy temple, but they leave the temple and they act like they've never worshiped God a day in their life. And Jeremiah points it out. He says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Listen to this. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Look at what David Guzik says. We don't say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as they did in Jeremiah's day. Today, some say, I go to church. I go to church. I go to church. Some say, I'm a conservative, or I'm Calvary Chapel, or I'm Baptist, or I'm whatever. None of these things make one right with God apart from true faith and repentance. They are excited about the temple of God. They're all stoked about this big fancy temple that they have, but they leave and they're hosting pagan festivals with their children. Like, like they are just leaving and acting like they don't even know the God they serve. And, and on top of that, they're, they're treating people in the nation terribly. The poor sojourners, they're treating them terribly. And, and God looks at this and God gives them so many opportunities to turn away so many opportunities. And he says, every time, if you turn away, I'm being patient with you right now. If you turn away, I'll bless you. I will literally bless you if you trust me. But eventually God has had enough. And at one point, God, he prophesies through Jeremiah exactly what's gonna happen. I'll skip through this a little bit because it's long. But Jeremiah 25, it says this. 
And listen to God's just kind of like frustration here. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened. You've neither listened or inclined your ears, although the Lord persistently sent you all of his servants through the prophets. I wanna skip down to verse 11. Here's what it says, look at this. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Well, surprise, this is exactly what happens. The prophets, they pinpointed this exactly. God allows his own people to be overcome by Babylon. They're in exile for exactly 70 years because of their inability to listen. And David Guzik says this, the lesson should be sealed in our hearts no matter how much spiritual progress or privilege or glory one might have, it can all be turned to nothing if we stop listening to God and cultivating our relationship with him. And students, we've got to understand that God is so gracious towards us. Man, if there's anything we see in the book of the prophets, it's that God is gracious. Like, don't let the doom and gloom language of the prophets fool you because God is so patient with his people, so patient. But he does at one point say, guys, your sin, your sin it's gonna bite you in the butt. And I'm trying to help you. I'm trying for, to get you to trust me. But if you will not trust me, sin is at your door and there's consequences for your sin. But the prophets also let us know there's consequences for our trust in God. And a lot of the times the prophets, they're pointing forward. They're also pointing forward to possibilities. Look at this, Jeremiah 7, five through seven says this. I love this. And I wanna invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. Jeremiah 7, five through seven says, for if you, somebody say if you, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress your sojourners, the fathers or the widows or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods in your own harm, look at this, then I will. Somebody say, then I will. Then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave the, to the old of your fathers. So what is God saying? We see this pattern. He's saying, hey, if you, if you'll just, if you will just trust me, then I will. I will. That's a consequence to your trust. I will bless you. And this leads me to our, our third theme throughout all the prophets. And this one is so incredible. And it's this, God desperately wants partnership with his people. Guess what? God wants to partner with you, New Song students desperately wants to partner with you. In fact, this is not just a theme that we see in the prophets. This is the theme of the entire Bible. God wants to partner with you and with me. God desperately wants to fix this broken world, to use a minority, to use you, New Song students, to change the majority. But the last thing that we see in all the prophets is this, and this is, this is so encouraging, is this. It's God is in control. Man, at the end of the day, this is what the prophets teach us. God is in control. Even though humans all throughout these books are constantly choosing to not trust in God, they're, they're choosing to not trust in him. At the end of the day, we see that whether they trusted him or not, ultimately God is still on the throne. God has the final say. And we see this, we see this in the first prophecy when sin first enters the world and God says, I'm not even phased by it. 
I've already got a plan. Jesus is gonna fix this. And we see this in the final chapter of Jeremiah, when, when Jeremiah gives us this final glimmer of hope about a new covenant. We read it at the beginning of service. I wanna read it to you one more time. God says this, that's right. The time is coming when I will make a brand new covenant with Israel and Judah. Now remember, this is after all of their disobedience. This is after all of their not trusting in God and God is still not done with them. He says, I'm gonna give you a brand new covenant. It won't be a repeat of the covenant I made with your ancestors when I took them out of Egypt. They broke that covenant and so did you. This is the brand new covenant that I will make with Israel when the time comes. I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts and be their God and they will be my people. They will no longer go around setting up schools to teach each other about God. They'll know me firsthand. The dull and the bright, the smart and the slow, I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them. I will forget they ever sinned. What do the prophets tell us? How does this fit into the whole story of God? Well, number one, they show us, man, God desperately wants to partner with you, desperately wants to partner with you to accomplish his will, but he's looking for people devoted to him. He's looking for students on fire for him. But we also learn from the prophets, and this is the most encouraging thing about all of this. It's that whether you perform everything well or not, whether you disobey God or not, God's still in control. And God says, it doesn't matter how you perform, because guess what? At the end of the day, you still need a better covenant. And I gave you a better covenant. And that covenant is found in Jesus. The prophets point to Jesus. And guess what? We're on the other side of that. We already have the new covenant. New Song students, you already get to know God firsthand. And this is what the prophets tell us. And so, man, as we get ready to close, I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. 